Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 6 of Revelation chapter 14. And we're going to be reading Revelation 14, verses 5 and 6. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And last time, we were looking at uh, verse 5 and and uh, the beginning of the verse, which says, And in their mouth was found no guile. And we saw how this is a word translated as deceit in Mark 7, verse 22, as uh, God is describing the sins that come forth out of the heart of man. One of the many sins that are listed is deceit or guile. And this is part of the the nature of man since the fall into sin. And uh, that's why it's such a wonderful thing, an incredible thing, when the Lord is um, talking about these people that he saved, these 144,000 that were saved during the period of the church age, that in their mouth was found no guile. Um, they spoke the word of truth. They spoke information from the Bible. And uh, as far as they knew, they were being faithful to the word of God. And the condition of their heart was it, the deceitfulness had been removed. The heart of stone was taken away and a heart of flesh was given unto them, and and uh, they became as Nathaniel, whom the Lord Jesus addressed and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. And that that's a very important statement, an Israelite indeed. And Christ made that statement of Nathaniel, in uh, a place where there were many uh, Israelites, many Jews, and and they all uh, were descendants of Abraham. But Nathaniel was an Israelite indeed, in truth, because he was a true child of God, someone that uh, the Lord had saved and given that new heart and new spirit and become a part of spiritual Israel. The Bible uh, tells us that uh, not all Israel are of Israel. That yes, uh, there was a, a physical nation of Israel, and they were all a part of that nation, being a Jew. But there's a spiritual Israel that only those that become saved are able to enter into and be accounted uh, amongst that number. And Nathaniel was one of those. 
an Israelite indeed. Just like today, we have uh, a world of professed Christians numbering about two billion, and yet the vast majority of them are not true Christians. They're not born again. They are not truly of the house of the Lord Jesus Christ, and 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 that's why uh, we often and continually attempt to make that distinction when studying the Bible and when God is focused on someone identified him through profession or identified with his kingdom through an outward identification via the church and and how that differs from an individual whom the Lord has saved and and he is a true man. There, there's no guile in that person. And that's a big distinction that the Bible makes and, and God makes and the Lord Jesus made when he addressed Nathaniel that way. An Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. And these 144,000, the first fruits unto God, were, um, in, in, the same spiritual condition as Nathaniel. They had no guile within them. Well, then it goes on to say at the end of verse 5, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Without fault. This is a beautiful idea, a beautiful truth that God is describing here. Again, he's speaking of someone that has become saved. And in this case, it's a whole group. It's everyone saved from the beginning of the church age, um, the midst of the church age to the end of the church age, and all in between. All of those saved through the ministry of the churches and congregations of the world at the proper time and season when the Lord was utilizing the churches to accomplish his purposes, one of which was to bring in these first fruits. And and when they became saved, at that point, when the uh, atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he died as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that's the point of his sacrifice, the the one sacrifice that he made forever, and there's never a need of another. That's the point when the sins of all of God's elect, of everyone that would ever become saved throughout the whole history of the world, that had not yet at that time or point been created, uh, from the foundation of the world, Christ was laden with their sins bore them upon his body on the tree in the sense that he was bearing the sins of his people and was cursed by God and and, and died for them in order to um, satisfy the law's demand for justice and satisfaction. And, and Christ performed the atoning work completely at that point. And then the only thing left was the application of that atonement. And and that's where the gospel came in. 
when when God did create the world and things unfolded as he knew they would, man committed sin and and there is Abel, one of his elect, and right away it's as the Lord it's as though the Lord had a enormous a bowl full of the blood of Christ and the the word of God was um like the hyssop that's dipped into the blood and applied to Abel. And then the next elect, and the next elect, until we come to Noah. And, yes, Christ died for Noah, Noah, and therefore Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. At some point in Noah's life, God applied the blood. He threw the word and redeemed Noah, and and so on, down through history. The blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ, uh, was available because he was the, the first to die, the first to rise from the dead, the firstborn of the dead, the first of the first fruits. And then the gospel was just a matter of applying the finished work from the foundation of the world to each one chosen by God, according to his good pleasure, no other reason, and at some point in their life, that's what God guaranteed, and and only the Lord knew when. It could be when they were a baby in the womb, like John the Baptist, or it could be at the very end of their life, like the thief on the cross, and, and any other period of time. But God obligated himself and guaranteed, since Christ had died for them, that the blood would be applied to them at some point before they died. And the Lord was uh, was 100% successful in working these things out over the course of the world's history, century after century, um, in each generation of man as they were born into the world. Didn't matter where those individuals were, God would work it out. In some generations, God had no elect, um, let's say, in China or in Asia. So the Holy Ghost forbid um, progress in those areas. There was no need. We have no elect there. In other ages and other years, there were large numbers of people that might be in a certain area. And so the gospel would would rush in. The word of God would go forth and 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 God would would save. And and of course he did that especially with the little season of the great tribulation that uh he reserved at the time of the end, the last sixty one hundred days of the day of salvation, known or called the latter rain period, and a great multitude became saved at that time. Well, what all have in common that had the blood of Christ applied to them through the word of God, as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, what each and every soul had in common was this statement, they are without fault before the throne of God. And that is a big statement because God 
does not overlook sin. He does not, uh, ignore sin. He, he, he cannot just, um, wave his hand and uh, allow individuals that have sin to enter into his kingdom. It took that enormous price of the Lord Jesus paying for sin in order for God to make this statement and, and it would necessarily take the removal of the, the guilt of sin, the removal of the ugliness of sin from off these people in order for God to say they are without fault because the law of God found fault with sinners due to their sin. One sin, we read in James 2, verse 10, uh, it makes us guilty of all. We are a lawbreaker subject to uh, the wrath of God, and and we, uh, we die as a result of that sin. But in, in the case of God's elect, they are forgiven. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians 1, this same word translated without fault. I'll start reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And that's the same a translation or rendering in the English of the same Greek word that's translated without fault. Here it is that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. No, uh, no blame. No more guilt. No spot of sin. We are clean. We're washed. The sin is purged from us. It's washed away. We are as white as snow. It is put as far from us as the east is from the west. We, we are free and, and we have no blame in the sight of God. And, and that's about as great a thing as anything could be because then we are in perfect uh, harmony once again with God. We have our relationship to him restored. We're now a creature and we submit to him, the creator. He has granted us forgiveness of sins, eternal life. We will live forevermore in this blessed spiritual condition of being without blame. In Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, it says in verse 21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind. The word sometime means aforetime. You that were aforetime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled 
in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And of course, you've, you've probably recognized it. It's the word unblameable. We, we go from the guiltiest of sinners to, um, the man or woman who every thought, word, and deed has been charged against us and all of our sins and, and we stood dripping with iniquity and guilt and shame before God and, and to a position of being unblameable. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can, uh, of men, who can say, you're guilty, you're a sinner, and point the finger and try to charge one of God's people with a sin? Well, yes, on a human level, men can find fault with us, and it's really interesting how it tends to work in the world when someone is part of the world, that the world loves its own, and they can basically get away with anything, and 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 things are overlooked, and and no one's too critical uh, of them, really, uh, uh, all that much. But if someone's been translated out of the darkness of this world spiritually, and into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, they become a child of God. Then, well, then the eyes of the world begin to seek them out, and people are watching them. They're looking to find fault, and especially those that are involved with gospels and and those that are um, emissaries of Satan, and because they think they have an actual relationship with Christ, but it's a relationship full of guile and deceit. There's no real relationship there, and and they feel judged. They feel um, it, it makes them uncomfortable, uneasy when they see true believers who are without guile and without fault before the throne they start maybe uh, being troubled by their own relationship with God. And yet, rather than look at that, instead, they they focus on the child of God intently with an eye to criticize, with an eye to find fault, with an eye to lay the blame. Let me see their sin and... And they'll, they'll keep looking until they find some sin, something they can accuse against the believer, the true believer. And it is amazing that, uh, this becomes the, the idea or, or that some unsafe people in the world have where they are the ones trying to find fault and yet God finds no fault. It doesn't mean that they can't sin. Uh, the truth is that the child of God is a horrible sinner. And and the Lord makes sure that when he saves one of his people, that he opens up their eyes and 
And uh, often is the case, they realize, I'm the chief of sinners, I'm the worst of sinners, which only leads them to greater praise to God and to uh, greater thanksgiving to Him that so much sin, a multitude of iniquity, has been pardoned, has been taken away, and cleansed from the soul, and and the guilt is gone, and so they're washed, and and this leads to a desire to do the will of God even more, to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And well, I guess it's how it is. If if um, the world loves us, well, the world won't find fault with us, but God will, and. If God loves us in the sense of salvation, then he, the Lord, will not find fault with us, but the world will. And that's why it comes down to, well, uh, whose judgment do we fear more? And the Apostle Paul had the right idea when the Lord moved him to write in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 3, but with me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. See, he he knew, yes, this would be the case. Men will judge me because God no longer condemns me, no longer judges me in that sense, although we are judged in the person of Christ. Yet the... Uh, verdict from the the just judge, from the judge of all the earth, is I find no fault in this child of God, in this person, because their sins, which are many, were paid for from the foundation of the world by the Lord Jesus Christ. And since they're paid for, then what fault can God find with them? That would be double jeopardy. It would be trying to judge someone twice for the same crime. And, and God is a just judge. He cannot do that. It, when, when the Lord says they are without fault before his throne, that is an honest assessment. It is an honest judgment coming from the just judge. There is none more just than the one that sits upon this throne, and he is issuing the decree, there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.